If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. 10 points for good gastrointestinal health. Now, Camilla Weishaw has already been on before. She's a bit of an expert in this particular area, which is why we've got her back. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about her, go to horsechats.com slash Camilla Weishaw, which is W-H-I-S-H-A-W, or just go to horsechats.com and search for Camilla, and I'm sure you'll find her. Now, Camilla, how are you today? I'm very well, thanks, Glennis. How are Perfect. you? Oh, very well, very well. Yep, yep. And now we're going to learn a bit more about good gastrointestinal health, which is very important, I think, for horse lovers, horse owners, horse trainers, coaches, anyone that's got anything to do with horses. But tell us why you've chosen this particular subject today. You know, I know you're an expert in the area, but, you know, you've got a choice of choosing a few different areas. Why this one? So, Glennis, um, for all horses, um, and any species for that fact, good health starts with the gastrointestinal tract or the mm-hmm. gut. Yep. The more time goes on, the more research is providing us with firm evidence that there are clear links between the health and the state of the gastrointestinal tract, which from here on in I'll refer to as GIT. Um, there's strong associations with immune health and GIT, inflammatory mediators in the body. So if you think of any inflammatory condition a horse suffers from, whether it's osteoarthritis, whether it's tendonitis, placentitis, um, it affects neurotransmitter production. So mm-hmm. you've got your constantly cranky horse. It can play um, quite a significant role in that. Um, it can uh, influence skin health, so horses with um, ongoing skin issues. It's just get the health of the gut right and you will have a systemic flow-on effect um, which will improve a lot of other areas of the body. So um, targeted treatment at specific conditions is all well and good, but until you adequately um, address and optimise gut health, mm-hmm. you won't achieve all you can um, in promoting health in the rest of the body. Okay. So it's a very, very solid place to start with. All right, all right. Now, we've got a relationship here, I'm sure, between the gastrointestinal health and the teeth and oral health. Is there a relationship? There's a big relationship, Glenis. Mm -hmm. So I think when a lot of us think of the gastrointestinal tract or stomach health or digestion, we immediately just think of the stomach um, and the small and large intestine. But really, gastric health starts in the mouth. So The mouth and the teeth um, are part of the digestive system Um, for many reasons. It's really important that horses are able to chew their food properly. So this begins both mechanical and chemical digestion of food. So mechanically, it's grinding it into smaller particles. 
um, which then allows enzymes and hydrochloric acids throughout the body to break the food down further. Mm-hmm. The production of adequate saliva in the horse is so important for so many reasons. So firstly, saliva contains one of our enzymes that begins digestion, salivary amylase. So that works at breaking carbohydrates down into smaller units. Saliva also um, contains bicarbonate, which is such an important buffer um, in the gut. So if we're thinking of horses with ulcers, horses that are at risk of ulcers, um, their natural production of bicarbonate is one of their um, very effective mechanisms against this. So um, it's another reason why horses consuming adequate adequate fibre and roughage, so your grass and hay um, and grazing constantly is really, really important to keep producing that saliva. So you've got this library bicarbonate in it um, to buffer, buffer and protect against the gut. I'm just wondering about feeds. You know, a lot of people wet down their feeds. Does that impact on the making of saliva? Saliva production? Mm, mm. Not so much from what we understand. Um, I don't know that a whole lot of research has been done in that area. Um, And I certainly, um, on the whole, encourage people to dampen down feeds when they're feeding, um, mainly to reduce the inhalation of um, particulate matter, so dust and other irritants, which um, can cause inflammation and mucus production in the airway. So we know that if we dampen feeds, we reduce those levels um, which in turn reduces airway inflammation. So I don't know that it's an area um, that has been studied extensively, but we know that um, saliva is produced by the horse in response to chewing, so we want to encourage that chewing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On that too, saliva um, contains uh, antibody called secretory IgA, which is a really, really important um, first line of the immune system, so defending against pathogens, things that we, you know, could potentially turn into bugs within the horse. So it's really, really important mechanism to help um, fight against that. Um, We need to be looking at um, the state of the horse's teeth, so making sure there are no sharp edges or um, mouth ulcers or cuts because a horse that's in pain in its mouth, much like a human, um, is going to not chew its food so well. So if it's not chewing so well, it's not producing the saliva so much, which is not... um, then getting the secretory IgA flowing and um, the bicarbonate production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another area of research which is becoming more and more exciting is the link of gingivitis, so inflammation of the gums and in the oral cavity. There's quite strong um, human evidence um, and research done in other animal species. It'd be lovely to see some done in a horse okay. or horses um, to show that oral inflammation has a strong link with systemic inflammation and illnesses, so things like arthritis, um, reduced immune function. We know it has impacts on fertility. So, you know, your mare that's having trouble getting in foal, it's not going to be your be-all and end-all solution, but certainly um, you want to be considering the state of her mouth and her teeth and her oral health. So on teeth and oral health, it's really important to monitor that regularly, having your equine dentist or your vet um, attending to their teeth and mouth every six to 12 months and as responsible owners and riders and caretakers, you know, checking their mouth, checking their teeth, you know, checking they haven't got anything stuck, you know, different seeds and things stuck in their mouth that could be causing them pain Mm. Um, Mm. because good digestion starts with the mouth. 
Yep, yep. And there's so much to learn. You know, we, we always think about performance horses and we want to make sure that, the, you know, the teeth, the oral health, that everything's right there. But, you know, broodmares, looking in their mouth to make sure that it's good and healthy, they're not getting in fold, you know, that that could be some relationship there. It's just so holistic, isn't it? It is, it yeah. is. And, yeah, that's why, you know, part of the joys of my job is looking at all these factors and pulling them all together because mm. often we'll look at one or two things and, and not consider the whole picture. And sometimes one thing will have a huge difference on its own. Other times there might be four or five factors, but they all need to be um, addressed to optimise optimize our outcomes, whether that's performance or reproduction or normal growth and maturity of the horse. So okay. um, it's really important that when people um, are considering their horse's GIT health, they start with the mouth. Okay. Okay. Now, what about the feed then? You know, can we talk about the fibre and the roughage that's required in the diet? Certainly, Glenna. So, horses we know are designed um, as grazing animals. They have a constant production of hydrochloric acid, um, which is one of the main digestive enzymes in the stomach. Unlike humans and some other species who only produce hydrochloric acid in response to food, horses are constantly producing it, which means if there's not something in their stomach, um, protecting the lining of their stomach, they're more at risk of ulcers because they've got that acidic hydrochloric acid um, in their stomach. So that's why one of the many reasons why it's so important um, that the horse is consuming plenty of fibre and preferably spread throughout the day so they're constantly grazing. So there's always something lining lining their guts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, As we touched on with oral health, it's so important um, through the effect of chewing for the production of the bicarbonate um, in the saliva. Again, that adds adds to the protective effect and the more a horse, the more fibre and more fibrous um, feeds a horse consumes, the more chewing they're doing, so the greater the production of those bicarbonates. Okay. Again, on chewing more, we know that saliva helps um, protect the teeth enamel. So again, the more fibre and roughage they're consuming, the more they're chewing um, and they're going to get um, protective protective effect on the teeth, so um, less likely to have caries and rotting teeth. Um, fibre is absolutely essential to feed the gut microbiome. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, horses have, as do um, all mammals, have a balance of bacterial species in their gut Now, some of them are beneficial, to be put simply. Some of them are not so beneficial. We know that a higher fibre diet promotes those beneficial bacteria, um, which in turn has positive impacts on immune function, on inflammatory levels, on neurotransmitter production, as opposed to lower fibre diets, which are more likely to promote what we call dysbiosis. Um, So that's um, bacteria that aren't favourable to a horse's health. Put Mm -hmm. simply, they Mm -hmm. will be in... Um, high proportion to the beneficial ones. So we want to feed these good bacteria and these good bacteria thrive on fibre. Okay. Fibre is also, a lot of people don't realise that fibre is a really important energy source in the horse. So it's broken down in the large intestine to produce what are called short-chain fatty acids or volatile fatty acids. Um, These are end products of bacterial fermentation and they're broken down into acetate, propionate and butyrate. Um, and they're really valuable energy sources for a horse. So often um, often people won't realise that even a horse that um, has higher energy requirements 
uh, can have a proportion of that those energy needs met through a high fibre diet, providing their GIT is in good health. So providing they've got those healthy bacteria which are able to break down the fibre mm-hmm. um, to convert to an energy source. All right. And again, the fibre with the action of the microbes um, in the gut are really essential for production of um, some of our vitamins, such as B group vitamins and vitamin K. So without adequate fibre, it's very, very hard to produce optimal levels of those vitamins. All right. What about the concentrate then? You've talked about how beneficial the fibre and the roughage is in the diet. What about for horses that have high energy needs? What can we use there to help the horse? So, Glennis, first and foremost, we want to know um, that we've got their GIT in a healthy state. So um, I like to ensure that prescribed herbs and nutrients um, and dietary management strategies that promote what we call healthy intestinal epithelial cells. So that's the lining of the intestines. If that's healthy, we're able to better utilise the food we intake And then this is before we actually introduce the concentrate feeds, is it? Correct, correct. Yeah, we want to know that what what our horse is ingesting and digesting, that they can effectively use that because if their gut health is in a poor state, they're not able to break down the food properly. They're not able um, to have the on-flow effect of proper energy production. So we really need to restore good GIT health. Mm-hmm. There will still be horses that indeed do need um, higher energy intakes, whether it's through competition, through growth stages, their training. So in those cases, we still want to make sure that the horse is um, consuming a minimum of 1.5 to 2% of their body weight in dry matter um, each day to ensure they're getting enough of that fibre. And then above and beyond that, we like to look at um, feeds and feed sources that provide added benefits the diet beyond just energy. So if we look at things like beet pulp, um, again, that's fibrous product, but it's great for horses with high energy needs. Um, if we're looking to add fat sources for energy needs, look, look at ones that have added benefits such as flax seeds, um, flaxseed meal. Um, if we tend to like to feed more grain for various reasons, things like boiled barley, which have a mucilaginous effect on the gut. So Although some horses um, do better on a lower grain diet, um, boiling barley just starts that digestive process for the horse as well as um, giving the gut lining a bit more protection. Mm -hmm. Something that's really important with horses that have higher energy needs is trying to avoid as much as we can the use of poor quality oils and oils that are higher in omega-6 fatty acids. So these promote inflammation. Um, a small amount of omega-6 in the diet is necessary, but most um, most horses tend to receive far too much, which then promotes inflammation um, and alters immune function, among other things. So although it can be very tempting to go, I can buy a 20-litre drum of corn oil very cheaply, um, you need to think what that's going to cost your horse in their health and performance. Okay. So, yeah, they're some of the key points. Um, I'm definitely not against the use of high energy and high concentrate feeds, but we need to incorporate them as part of a holistic plan. So balancing out the diet and management strategies in other areas to make sure um, we keep keep good GIT health. Um, when we're feeding them too, it's always really good to combine them with a high fibre source. So um, that'll help slow the digestion down a bit and provide um, a source of fibre and roughage 
um, to help promote a better bacterial balance. So, you know, I grew up, we grew up feeding horses oats mixed with lucerne and although, you know, they're both pros and cons for it, as a simple practice it was good in that um, you did have a high energy source but you also had the, the lucerne, the fibre in that to help slow things down and to help promote chewing. Okay, all right. Now what about the use of antibiotics? How does that optimise gut flora? Just tell us a little bit more about the use of antibiotics. Okay, so antibiotics are definitely, you know, a life-saving and very important part of veterinary medicine um, in many cases, but we really need to question our use of them. I'm not at all for prophylactic use of them for the sake of just because or just in case. Mm -hmm. Um, They really need to be well indicated, both in terms of helping um, to reduce the great impact we've, you know, we're continually becoming resistant to more and more antibiotics. And part of the problem or part of the reason for this is because people, you know, have just used them a bit willy-nilly or they think their horse is getting a snotty nose, so they'll put them on antibiotics. Uh, okay. Really, yeah. really, they should only ever be used on recommendation by a vet mm-hmm. um, and for very good reason. We also need to consider the fact that antibiotics disrupt the gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Um, we want to, again, we want those good bacteria in abundance and yep. the bad, inverted commas, bad bacteria at minimal levels. Anytime you use antibiotics, it kills off both the good and bad bacteria. Mm-hmm. Obviously, antibiotics are effective against um, bacterial infections, which is a really um, important key to remember. So there's no point giving a horse with viral infection antibiotics. Um, antibiotics are there to kill bacteria. So they get rid of the nasties, but they also um, wipe out all the good bacteria, which then for issues um, that we call dysbiosis. So after all the good and beneficial bacteria are gone, the gut needs to re-establish a bacterial balance. And unless we've implemented feeding um, and strategies, more often than not, they will be overpopulated with bad bacteria, which then sets us up for more inflammation or immune problems, chronic infections, things like that. So um, it's really, really important that if and when we use antibiotics, at how we bring up microbiota. Okay. Right. Um, our horse you knows some probiotics or a course of probiotics. Um, now, probiotics are... Um, an important part of mm-hmm. re-establishing a healthy gut microbiome. Um, that colony of probiotics establish themselves and continue to multiply and grow. And if we don't give them their feed source of prebiotics, um, that's not able to happen. So those horse owners that do need to use antibiotics in their horse um, and choose to use probiotics too, we really need to consider the timing of administration um, of probiotics in conjunction with um, the timing of the antibiotics. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. All right. Now, what about their NSAIDs and how can they support the gut health, you know, during the use, after their use? What information have you got us there? Again, so NSAID, so we're thinking of phenylbutazone, so Bute, mm-hmm. um, Flinixon, um, Equiox, your common anti-inflammatory drugs. 
again, their discriminative use is really, really important. Um, obviously, they're very valuable um, pharmaceutical, both in pain um, and in controlling potential inflammation. But we really, really need to review um, how we use them. We know now too, um, there's evidence to show that uh, NSAIDs alter um, the intestinal microflora just as antibiotics do, um, and they also compromise intestinal integrity. So that healthy lining in the intestines, which we want, we want to make that healthy, um, both to prevent infection and excessive inflammation, um, and to optimise uptake of nutrients. So NSAIDs are known um, to damage that. Mm-hmm. And people often think of this in simplest terms of associating the use of butte with the formation of gastric ulcers. Yep. So they can do that, but um, if they need to be used, make sure it's um, for a very good reason and only use where indicated. Um, mm-hmm. If they need to be used, we need to still promote a high-fibre diet where possible, so to give us some protection um, against gastric binding damage. Okay. Uh, one thing that concerns me is people will often think, I'll put my horse on gastric ulcer medication at the same time. Um, one study has been done to show that this actually has a worse effect um, on gastrointestinal health than um, giving butyl or NSAIDs alone. So I'm very, very cautious about the use of combining um, your meprazole and gastroguard or ulcerguard with mm, okay. um, butyl. So a lot of people are under the illusion that giving those two, two drugs together is beneficial. Um, I'm very much against the use of post-race or post-event um, butte just in case. In inverted commas, people go, well, my horse might pull up sore. I'll give it some butte. So if that's your line of thinking, I'd strongly encourage you to review why you think you need to use it. Um, mm-hmm. Is your horse properly conditioned for the event or exercise it's meant to undertake? Um, and look at feeding it, um, you know, look at feeding practices, look at training practices, look at exercise practices, um, which may be contributing to excessive inflammation or pain. Um, one other important point on NSAIDs is um, they stop the production of um, the majority of inflammation pathways. There are now newer drugs on the market which... Um, are selective in the inflammatory pathways they block. Um, but by and large, all of them block all uh, major inflammatory pathways. Some of the horse's inflammatory pathways are actually very beneficial to their health, um, both to immune function um, and particularly in relation to gastric health. Um, one of the pathways produces a substance called mucin, which again is another one of the horse's natural protective methods to protect their gut lining against damage. So if you shut down all inflammation, you then shut down mucin production as well. Um, so you've just lost another defence barrier um, against hydrochloric acid or um, other other potential gut irritants. So um, it's really, really important that when you do use NSAIDs that you have um, a very good reason to and that you have an effective um, nutritional and supplementation program in place to give um, the body what it needs to restore the health of the gastrointestinal tract. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about products like UlcerGuard, and you've talked about you know the use of them with NSAIDs, but what about just using them without 
antibiotics without NSAIDs? What about just the use of them themselves? So, Glennis, I think it's a practice that needs to be looked at from a holistic perspective, and we need to ask ourselves why why we're using them. In the case of chronic ulcers, they can be effective, although there are many nutritional and some herbal products that, Mm -hmm. when used appropriately, um, can help uh, heal and repair the gastric lining. So that would definitely be my first port of call. I have a real issue when people have their horses constantly on Castroguard or Ulcerguard or um, Amaprazole-containing products. The way these products work is by stopping the production of hydrochloric acid. So hydrochloric acid is essential for horses to break down the food they consume to help them um, extract the nutrients they need from the feed um, to help make sure that only fibrous products are broken down um, in the large colon to produce those beneficial bacteria. If we stop hydrochloric acid production, we alter the whole um, digestive process, which, long story short, leads to um, dysbiosis in the large intestine. So then we're creating an environment that promotes inflammation that lets pathogens thrive. Um, It's also really important to remember that hydrochloric acid is not only necessary for digestion, but it also has um, a strong function in the immune system in that the acidic nature of it kills off a lot of ingested pathogens. So stop hydrochloric acid um, and you're taking away another another line of immune defence. So um, if your horse is on ulcer guard, you need to be reviewing why you're using it. You need to be um, reviewing your management and feeding practices and strategies. So um, that's an area I really, really think people need to stop and think hard about. Mm-hmm. I think, Camilla, I really like the way that you're looking at the holistic health. You know, we're here to talk about gastrointestinal health, but you're looking at the whole thing holistically and we're looking at why if we need to use these products, it's not just to fix the problem, but how this is affecting the overall health of the horse. And I think coming from your point of view, you know, I just think that's, yeah, I love it. <laughs> Thanks. Tell us about um, strategic drenching of the horse. Okay, so we've gone through, you know, different um, phases or cycles or approaches with how we um, drench horses and um, parasite control. Mm -hmm. And again, although I'm a naturopath and I like to keep things as natural as possible through um, whether it's management and dietary practices or supplementation of herbs or nutrients, I'm of the opinion that our standard chemical drenches do have Um, an important role to play in healthy horse management. Um, But I'm also of the view that we need to use them appropriately, um, both to reduce um, resistance to our different drenches. So just like we've created our own problems with antibiotic resistance, we've also um, done that to a large extent with with different drenches. So um, we know that significant parasitic loads in the horse, so different types of worms can cause significant damage to the gut, which again is going to have inflammatory effects um, systemically and immune poor immune effects systemically. So we certainly don't want our horses burdened with worms, but at the same time we don't want to overuse um, drenches and chemicals, mm-hmm. um, both for the horse's health and if you think about the flow and effect to the environment too and farmland and agriculture. So I tend to have most of my clients um, 
undertake strategic drenching. So depending on the horse, um, their health, the stage of a program they're in, we will look at um, their egg counts, horses' egg yep. counts, okay. um, and tend to only target um, drenching-specific um, parasites when they've got an egg count of about 150 to 200 eggs per gram. Um, having said that, some external parasites and bots will still need to be drenched for regardless because our, we either don't test for them or our screening practices for them aren't great. So um, usually early to mid-summer, I will get my clients to use an ivermectin or moxidectin-based drench um, to drench against these. Um, and we also need to consider that um, labs that do test for tapeworms aren't necessarily all that sensitive. So we seem to think there's a bit of a lag in uh, the clinical detection of tapeworm eggs um, and their their presence. So again, um, once a year um, and generally in the summer, I'll, te- I'll recommend the clients drench against tapeworms regardless. So again, it's Incorporating the use of conventional, whether you want to call them chemicals or practices or medications, mm-hmm. using them in a holistic context because um, certainly high worm, high worm loads or parasite loads um, do have detrimental health effects. Um, at the same time, we need to be thinking about practices that we can do like regularly picking up our manure or um, harrowing paddocks just to reduce that, um, that worm and parasite burden. Um, so, yeah, putting that in a holistic context. Okay, okay. Now, earlier on we talked about the fibre, the roughage, the appropriate use of concentrates or high-energy feed. So we talked about the type of feed, but what about how we feed? Is there Have you got tips for us on that? Yeah, certainly, Glennis. So, again, I think horse people wanting to do their best, we can get very caught up in just what we feed and not necessarily how we feed. So. Mm-hmm. Um, as I touched on earlier, horses, their digestive system is designed for them to be constantly grazing and constantly eating. So if you've got a horse that um, does have higher energy needs, giving it one or two massive feeds a day and then um, leaving it for the rest of the day without feed or with um, minimal roughage in between really isn't promoting healthy GIT function um, mm. and isn't optimal for their health. So. And horses that do require feeds and higher energy feeds, um, try to make those into smaller feeds and where as practical as possible, space them throughout the day, uh, especially horses that are in a stable environment too. Um, okay. So especially consider that. Again, when we can make sure that they have plenty of roughage. Um, for a horse with lower energy needs, um, consider hay that's, you know, we all love our rich, you know, hay that's, very, you know, green or, you know, um, a very good quality, still good quality hay but less energy-dense hay can be really beneficial. Hay that's soaked or steamed um, if your horse has less energy requirements but still to give it the um, beneficial effects of the fibre. When we're feeding, I encourage people to feed from ground level. Um, Again, it's important to make sure manure is regularly picked up um, and using good quality feed bins. Um, can help protect against um, things like that. But feeding at ground level allows the horse to get its head down, which um, allows good mucociliary clearance and drainage of airway. So mm-hmm. good for recovery um, and just good natural health. And it's, you know, 
horses, that's the way they spend the majority of their time grazing. So um, nature's got a very good reason reason for that. Um, yes. As I touched on earlier, mixing our concentrates with roughage. So if your horse does require higher energy feed, mix lucerne or other types of chaff through that to give it a mm-hmm. bit of roughage. Okay. Um, for horses who are undertaking strenuous work, so um, racehorses and other horses in training, um, there's evidence to suggest that giving them about 500 grams of lucerne or lucerne chaff um, shortly, sort of half an hour to an hour before work, can help line the gut um, effectively both um, from a physical sense and from the presence of magnesium and calcium, which just gives a buffer um, against hydrochloric acid when they're working out. So that amount of food tends to sit comfortably in the stomach um, mm-hmm. for a horse in intense work while giving it um, a bit of protection. Another thing we need to consider is that when we are changing a feed regime with a horse, whether it's addition of concentrates or a mix of feed or types of hay, we want to make those um, changes as gradual as possible um, as sudden shifts in microflora um, occur in response to um, sudden changes in feed. And this can have um, really significant impact on the horse's health. Um, and is often associated with conditions such as colic. So where possible, do a gradual transition. Um, if you've started suddenly sourcing your hay from elsewhere, um, if you can gradually introduce that hay as you're finishing off the old old batch of bales you've got, just things like that um, are really important to keep in mind. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Just thinking about, you know, you talked about racing or just horses that are in a high stress environment or horses that are just by temperament, by personality, um, highly stressed. How does that have, what sort of effect does that have on their digestion and their and their gut health? So, Glennis, um, digestion is under influence or occurs through actions of the nervous system. Now, um, put simply, there are several different divisions of the nervous system or branches. Um, digestion is largely under the influence of what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, there's another division of the nervous system called the sympathetic nervous system, and they tend to work um, in opposition to each other. So we keep in mind that the parasympathetic nervous system is associated with rest and digesting, um, and the sympathetic nervous system is associated with stress, anxiety, um, high levels of high-intensity exercise, things like that. So we want to be promoting... um, the parasympathetic nervous system to optimise digestion um, to help promote normal GIT motility. Um, if we're feeding a horse that's constantly stressed, um, whether it's been separated from mates or it's in a situation where horses are constantly fighting for feed and it, it's in the lowest um, pecking order, that's going to send um, its sympathetic nervous system into overdrive. Um, and sort of shut down the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system, which we need for healthy digestion. Um, So we need to try and avoid as much as possible, particularly when we're feeding a horse, to expose it to overly stressful situations. So, you know, feeding horses in mobs can have beneficial effects, providing there's not the same horses that are constantly getting picked on. Um, And if that's the case, look at separating 
the horses at feeding time, but sort of having them in an area where they can see each other. Horses are social animals um, and tend to be more relaxed and calm in that in an environment with other horses. So try and feed horses at the same time. Um, for horses that are in stable situations, try and minimise um, the time that lapses between getting feeds prepared and starting off feeding and having horses that are banging doors and things like that because that's all um, all affecting digest- digestive function. And we know that um, stress does uh, alter the microbial balance in the GIT and not favourably. So just mm-hmm. look at different ways we can um, minimise stress, particularly around um, around feed times. And on that too, there was a study done to show that um, it was done in Australian racing stables to show that horses that had the radio on in the background that was on uh, oh, yeah. the racing yep. station so the yep. horses could hear the race being called, those horses demonstrated higher levels of stress. Did they? Um, which we can then think of higher instances of gastric ulcers and things like that. So um, if you're in a barn environment um, or a racing stable environment, seriously consider turning off <laughs> the <laughs> racing station or not having it constantly playing. As, yes, as funny as it sounds, it has been shown to um, promote cortisol release and stress in horses. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, for our listeners, you know, we always want to have something to learn and we've learned quite a lot. You know, there's quite a few tips that you've you've given us. You know, we've sort of talked about 10 points or 10 tips, but I think there's been quite a few more than that, 10, 10 main ones mainly, but lots and lots of subheadings there. What about what changes do they need to make to their feeding or, you know, talk to us about the changes to feeding to support their health, the gut health? So I think probably some simple, actionable takeaway points um, mm. for listeners are to make sure their horses' diets are high in fibre, high in roughage. Okay. Um, they are constantly grazing or consuming hay. And if we need to slow down the race, um, at what they consume it, you know, putting putting in appropriate measures to do that. Any dietary changes, if we if they're made, should be done gradually. So to ensure a smooth change of GIT microflora because we don't want to go um, go changing anything abruptly. Even if, as contradictory as it sounds, we don't want to abruptly go changing from really poor microflora to really good microflora um, as that in itself can um, cause colic and other GIT distress. So make any changes really, really gradually. Um, manure, monitoring your horse's manure is one of the, um, one of the easy ways you can sort of help uh, that can be used by owners to sort of help dictate this, although I wouldn't rely on that solely, but it, it can be quite helpful. Um, another important thing is to minimise the intakes of fats which drive inflammation, so those poor quality vegetable oils, corn oils, things like that. It's another really, really simple change owners can make. Um, don't forget the importance of exercise to ensure good bowel motility so you can feed the best feeds and supplements and things. But if your horse isn't getting that basic movement to help um, help promote the passage of food throughout their GIT, um, you're going to encounter problems. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, horses that are kept in stables, we really need to make sure they're getting their exercise. And then, you know, obviously horses that are on strict stable rest, we then need to look at how we can how we can help support those horses. Okay. Um, but, yeah, just any changes you make, make them slowly um, and start with the basics, you know, getting your fibre right, cutting out um, 
cutting out those poor quality feeds and oils, making sure meal sizes are smaller and spread throughout the day. Things like mm-hmm. that are really easy, um, easy actionable steps. Okay, okay. All right, lots of actionable steps, not just those last few that you've given us, but I suppose they're the main points. And then, Camilla, how can people contact you if they'd like to know a little bit more, find out a bit more about, you know, what you're doing um, to help horses? So they can visit my website at www.optimequine.com. So that's O-P-T-I-M-E-Q-U-I-N-E.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, they can email me, Camilla, C-A-M-I-L-L-A, at optimequine.com. Um, and on my website, my phone number, um, as well as you can email from my website. Um, I've also got Optimum Equine on Facebook, so I'll regularly post just, you know, little handy snippets, bits of information, um, things for owners and managers and riders to consider in relation to their horse and horse health. So um, they're probably the best, best ways to contact me, um, learn a bit more and see how we can help you and you and help your horse. Perfect. All right, Camilla, those details will be on Horse Chat's website as well. That'll be horsechats.com slash Camilla Weshaw, and you'll see um, previous interview, but they're all sort of linked together. Just go horsechats.com slash Camilla Weshaw too, or just go to horsechats.com and search for Camilla, search for Weshaw, W-H-I-S-H-A-W, and you'll find contact details as well as links to previous chats. Camilla, thank you. Thank you for all the tips. Thank you for, you know, just lots and lots of information. Just, um, yeah, it wasn't 10 tips, as I said. There was just lots and lots there and and, uh, really talking about the holistic horse and I think, um, yeah, just doing things to improve the welfare of the horse, which is what we're all about. So thank you again and hopefully we'll catch up sometime soon. My pleasure, Glennis, and thank you. And, yeah, thank you to all the Horse Chat listeners. So. Um, yeah, it's been great. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 